Robert Gowan sitting here at 15 Perry Street, Mentors for Military, coming at you. And I'm joined by Cardia Summers. Cardia, I appreciate you coming all this way to uh, join the Mentors for Military podcast. Thanks for having me, Rob. So I know that there's so much that we want to get into, and I'm going to try to figure out a way to piece this into a different um, segments that we can talk about. But if anybody is sitting here watching us on the show, you're going to see a lot of great stuff that's laying out on the table that we're going to get into. But we're going to begin with the humble beginnings. And I think that was uh, you as being a military brat, and I'm a military brat as well, Navy, your Army. But your, your kind of uh, memory of home, I guess, is Fort Campbell, Hopkinsville? Yeah, my dad set up 160th, so Fort Campbell, Kentucky is home. Yeah, that's like a major thing, too, by 160th, and, and maybe we'll get in that, too. And then after, um, I understand at some time frame, or well, I think it was after that time per uh, period, you end up going to Hawaii. Yeah, you know, we eventually transitioned there as he went through the ranks and, uh, you know, just being an Army brat on Hawaii was certainly fun, but... Island fever definitely kicked in. Eventually. Yeah, and I've heard that a lot uh, from individuals that uh, they get that island fever, that rock fever or something that kicks in at about a year. And then there are other people that kind of surprise me that end up wanting to stay there and extend. Yeah, I think that decision is based off really where they are in their career. I mean, I was in high school, so um, I certainly would have loved to stay, but we end up transitioning to Fort Lewis next. Right in the middle of high school. That's very challenging. Um, I know I moved my daughter between, say, middle school and high school, and that was, I think that was a pivotal, a pivotal moment in her life. It's certainly hard. You know, I went to three different high schools, actually. So started in, in Atlanta, Georgia, when my, my dad was at Fort McPherson and Fort Gillum, and then Schofield Barracks, and then Fort Lewis. But I, I would say I'm certainly grateful for it because of that. Uh, experience I'm able to relate to a lot of people. Yeah. Do you think that growing up with your father being in the military was a reason uh, or what you thought about? Cause like for me growing up, I say this because I always had posters of Army, Marine Corps, primarily those two branches on my walls everywhere, trying to decide, you know, at some point, started maybe probably about 11 years old, hanging them up and trying to decide, you know, which branch I'm going to go into. And I'll make that decision when the time comes. And you know, I've shared it on the podcast in earlier episodes. My my mother just gave me advice of just go check them all out. My dad said just don't go in the Marine Corps. <laughs> so uh, because of course he was Navy, and uh, I had no desire to go into the um, to the Navy because he was in the Navy and um, Air Force. You know, I didn't have a college education. Of course, everybody at that time frame wanted to fly, um, so I couldn't do that. So I ended up. Um, talking to the Marine Corps, almost going in, and then an Army recruiter snatched me up and said, um, hey, you know, sit down, let's talk, and basically took my Marine Corps pamphlet and threw, them in, and threw them in the trash can. I don't know if you have a similar story, or how was it that it came about from high school and growing up as an Army brat that you end up going into the military? Well, really, my dad didn't want me to join. He, he didn't? No, See? Okay. Yeah, he, he wanted me to go to college. Uh, I had a track and field scholarship to USF to, to go run track no and field uh, for South Florida. And yeah. And um, fortunately, I gained his support. I, I, my vision of the military, I, I thought it was, well, it was great, excuse me. What I will say is because of his rank, I certainly lived a certain way. Oh, gosh, and yeah. And joined as a private and realized, oh, this is <laughs> it's definitely different. <laughs> Has, had he retired by the time he came in? Um, no, he was still in. He actually retired in 2018. Nobody knew, though, that you were the son of a CSM. Though. No, because I, I wanted to own, you know. Yeah. I wanted to have my own merit as a man, yeah. so I never shared it. Yeah, I can't say that I blame you, especially, you know, standing up 160th and all of that. At that time frame, though, a lot of people probably didn't know about that. I'm assuming um, the period of time at which you stood up 160th was after um, Delta Force at that time frame went in to uh, get uh, hostages, the Iran hostages and everything. And I think it was sometime after that the, the Army made a decision to, you know, get their own force which the 160th end up coming out of. Right, yeah. I, I always try to, you know, poach him for information. He doesn't like talking about it. What I do know that he shares is he was in the um, 82nd at the time, and they just asked for volunteers. Oh, was it really? And just okay. being a 92 Yankee uh, Pathfinder and, and, you know, all those cool guy badges, he, he was selected. And Yeah. What rank serve. was he at that time frame? <clears throat> a buck sergeant. Okay. And he stayed until... Uh, I would say likely a sergeant first class, if I can remember. Wow. Okay. That is a long time of spending there then. And um, pivotal moment probably in his career, too, because it launched him into, um, you know, again, other opportunities and stuff that 
CSM came along and everything else, I'm sure, because of some of his career choices that he made. So what was your first duty assignment when you came out? Or did you go option 40? <clears throat> so, yeah, I did. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't make it. You know, I couldn't swim. Uh, <laughs> um, so fortunately, I continued to try and really just kept making it to week seven, you know, and couldn't swim, right? So couldn't graduate. And finally, like, hey, dude, what's going on? <laughs> so uh, because of my low-density MOS, I was a paralegal. You're sort of... I would say grouped already in USASOC. Yeah. So I end up um, being selected by, uh, or being transitioned to to PSYOPs for Psychological Operations Group, which okay. is now called uh, MESOC. Yeah. Where where was that at? Fort Bragg. Okay. And um, so when you went through, you went through um, Airborne School first when you came in, and then uh, RIP, or was it RASP? They had just transitioned to RASP. Okay. So you went through RASP. Okay. Went through RASP, couldn't make it all the way. Then they ship you to Bragg. Correct. Okay. Okay. So when you're at Bragg and everything, I mean, that's not too bad of a, a, an assignment and stuff. I mean, psychological operations, we've had some, some guys on here and um, learned a lot about that in civil affairs. And it's kind of an unknown entity within the, the special operations community, or at least within the, the you know regular side of it. Most guys don't know a lot about psychological operations and civil affairs and how they're supporting the special operations. Yeah, their mission is very unique. It is certainly needed within, within the community. You know, yeah. They have a saying, win the mind, influence the day of, 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 of our adversaries. And you know, within their groups, they each support a known entity within, within our soft community. It's certainly needed. Yeah, and how long were you there with them? I was there three years. I was fortunate to compete and win Soldier of the Year in 2011. The following year, uh, I, I, <clears throat> I know that you have a number of acc accolades, and it probably was at this time frame, because I wrote them down. I wanted to make sure, because I, I Googled you, of course. Paralegal of the Year, Soldier of the Year, NCO of the Year. I mean, you were, I mean, like on a roll. Really? Fortunately, I had great mentorship. It's, yeah, you know, it's not anything I did. I just had good NCOs to really train and coach and mentor. Yeah, no, that's that's big time. So when was it that you decided to go and try back for regiment again? It was actually after winning an NCO of the year. You, you, so after each competition, you get three schools of choice, <coughs> and I was fortunate to meet, <coughs> excuse me, Command Sergeant Major Merritt and. He's like, hey, dude, you know, why aren't you in regiment? I'm like, well, Sergeant Major, I tried out, but I couldn't swim. Yeah. i never forget, he said, hey, dude, don't let water or don't let an obstacle get in the way of, you know, what you love. So I took an MWR course on post, a swimming for tots. Uh, so, <laughs> That's awesome. So it was a swimming course for two-year-olds, but, hey, I learned to swim, you know. Hey, whatever it takes, right? And that's a great advice for anybody who's listening who may be in the same predicament. Go down to the YMCA or, you know, <laughs> and take some classes and stuff because it could be something that stops you from doing what you love or what you wanted to do. And in your case, that's what you wanted to do in the very beginning. So I guess it worked out for you. It did. You know, I'm so thankful. I wasn't happy at Bragg. You know, Ben yeah. is where I wanted to be. Okay. Most guys that end up going through rafts do not want third bat. They don't want to stay at Benny. So it's interesting that you wanted Benny. Yeah, it fit, you know, it, it fit my uh, personality, I would say. Yeah, okay. And so you end up getting into regiment, and uh, obviously you pass that and such. And then how long was it before you end up going to Ranger School? I would say, uh, man, so I got the battalion in November 2012. I went to Ranger School the following year, uh, 2013. Yeah, any uh, memorable things? That came out of Ranger School? Everybody's got some kind of... <laughs> Man. Uh, yeah, so I recycled uh, Land Nav. I would say that, that would be the most memorable thing. Um, and I recycled in pre-Ranger. So I was grateful for having to do cert twice. You know, it, it really made Ranger School a bit easier. <laughs> yeah, and um, you're right. I think it builds a little bit of resiliency. It makes you appreciate the whole process, but it also makes it a hell of a lot longer school. It does. It does. And really that time I spent in Vaughn's, it was certainly needed. Yeah. You know, I was able to really just read up on, on uh, the Ranger School Handbook, of course, and it, it just made the entire path of Ranger School a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So you end up uh, in, in regiment and go to Ranger School, do your time there and stuff, and how many years total did you end up spending paralegal there? I left, I left regiment in 2000, 
16. So total four years. So guys are going to ask, you know, the question or be wondering during that time frame, do paralegals uh, deploy? And, and if so, what do you do? Absolutely. You know, <laughs> most people don't even know we have paralegals. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's, it's a very unique position. You know, it's mostly based off operational law, mm -hmm. you know, so <laughs> without getting into the details, but the Joint Task Force Commander may have a mission. It's really our job to looking within the op law handbook and, and get the answer on his left and right limits. Yeah, very cool. And most people wouldn't even recognize that that's something like you said that would be within the regiment that uh, that's needed. But it's absolutely. And, you know, I remember back when I was at Benning was well before that time frame. I mean, we're talking I left there, I think, at 95, 96 time frame. And, and it really just was the headquarters and third battalion that was there. And we were talking off camera, you know, you've now got RMIB, you've got, um, you know, you've got other MOSs and stuff that people would never even think about being assigned to regiment. Um, I mean, they're, they're pretty much looking at, um, we don't really care what your MOS is, just come and try out. And then we'll, you know, don't self-select before you even get here. And, and I think that's really solid for trying to make sure you're getting the best of the best out there, cast that net wide so that you can get those guys in rather than saying, oh, no, we're only selecting specific MOSs. Right. And this is another example of most people would be like, what? I never knew that MOS even was there. Yeah, it matters. You know, we, we try to find them in the schoolhouse right away. And, and the moment they're at RAS, we reach out just to let them know, hey, your job is certainly needed. Yeah. No, absolutely. And um, so you end up spending, you said about six years uh, there. Is that about right? 2012 to 2016. Okay, four years. So where did you end up going after that? So Italy. Italy was next. Yeah. So was this by choice that you end up wanting to go to 173rd? Yeah, it was. Um, well, my 173rd path wasn't by choice, and, and I can get into that, but it, it was by choice to go to Italy. You know, I just fortunately was selected for Paralegal of the Year to Sergeant Coggins Award and really just needed to broaden my horizons as a paralegal. Yeah. So So let's go back, though, then to why it was that you ended up leaving the battalion, because that really set your now career and everything and determination kind of forward. Yeah, really. It was leaving 375 early, unfortunately. Yeah. So I, I was selected to serve as the regimental senior paralegal after my 375 time. But unfortunately, what that did was shorten my, my time in battalion. So, you know, I miss Halo and a lot of cool guy schools. But on the contrary to that, I was able to broaden my horizons and better myself as a person. Yeah. Well, see, and a lot of people don't even know that you get the opportunities to go to the cool guy schools as a paralegal. Correct. You do. I mean, there's, there's paralegals out there um, with, with Master Halo. You know, there's multiple jump masters, right? Because you still have to serve your unit and, and be a soldier first. Yeah. So you end up going to 173rd. Um, did you like Italy? So I actually ended up going to 207MI. Oh, so I, it wasn't 173rd. No, yeah, so 207MI. Are they in Vincenza? They are. It was a brand new unit. Uh, I was really just tasked as the, the senior paralegal, and, and that's unfortunately where I had my DUI. So based so, off that. Well, let's go. What, what was it? So um, the story behind that is that you were just having a good time with some friends and everything and, and maybe share a little bit about that. What happened? Yeah, it's just really a lack of discipline. You know, you, you come from regiment where everything's regimented and structured. You know, you go to work at five, get off whenever you get off. And Italy, it's the first time I didn't have a first artist tell me, hey, don't do this. I was the top guy in with that, unfortunately, it led to poor decisions. You know, I'm getting off work at 2 o'clock. Freedom. <laughs> freedom, literally. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I just made a poor decision in, in, in drinking and driving. So. Yeah, and it's happened multiple occasions to guys uh, I know, and some that even went on to launch into other careers, like, you know, going to Delta or something like that. So it's not a career-ending per se all the time it just all depends upon how you react to it what you feel about it you know when you got the dui how bad how did things change for you and at least in terms of your career and at this point you'd been in 
a fairly good amount of time. You're just about reaching that hump where you start making a decision about, do I go for retirement? Yeah, with my accident, it really led to uh, me reclassing to infantry. Um, and, and it was detrimental because I would have been selected for sergeant first class the following year. So it certainly reset my, my time as a soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I was on base with Command Sergeant Major Mullinax and, and Colonel Shaw, who served in the regiment uh, previously. Um, and they were, I was fortunate enough for them to let me serve as a squad leader, 173rd. Yeah. And during that time frame, you started making the decision, hey, it's... I'm going to get out, um, or what was it that kind of made that decision? So no, you know, I was all in. I was still trying to make Sergeant First Class, but I had to do three years now as an infantryman. So yeah. I was fortunate to get my EIB, True Blue. Um, yeah, you know, I was learning direct fire control measures. You know, just really learning from my team leaders on how to be an infantryman because being a ranger, it certainly makes the transition easier, mm-hmm. right? But with squad live fires and and. It was it was a different world for Absolutely. you too. Yeah. yeah, but I loved it. Yeah, but you're you're a tab ranger, having served in you know battalion and everything. How was that as far as being a leader? Did people you know did they kind of gravitate towards you? And what was that kind of experience for you? Yeah, you know, really, Italy is like the fourth lost ranger battalion. We yeah. call it. Um, so any scroll, I, I try to meet. You know, given my seniority and. I wanted to be a tab in scroll wearer, yeah. uh, bearer, excuse me. Wanted to be a tab in scroll bearer. So for me, I tried to groom any any Joe that I met. Um, I'm fortunate to, to uh, I'm proud to say that I, I placed three of my former uh, three, three of my team f- members team members into regiment. Yeah, that well, that's tremendous right there. I mean, you were obviously mentoring. Very early, and most of us in terms of like uh, you know NCOs and stuff and officers as well. But you get to a point where you start trying to pay it forward with other people, and sounds like that's obviously what you were what you were doing. I mean, having been NCO of the year, paralegal of the year, and all these types of things, and like you said, you had good mentorship. It's really neat that you were willing to pass that on and give that to somebody else. Yeah, it certainly matters. Um, just thinking about really my my path, I wouldn't even have been able to serve as a squad leader if it wasn't for my former first sergeant and command sergeant major Mullinax. Yeah, so I'm grateful that they gave me the chance. Huge. Um, I know that I had uh, a major influence, but very early in with uh, within my career. But I don't know that um, everybody really understands the impact that we make as NCOs on other people in their lives and. Sometimes it's just through some small gesture that we end up doing, a conversation that we have with an individual, helping them get to where they're wanting to go and achieve their career, whatever the case may be. And in my case, it was just I needed somebody at a, at a certain part of my life, and there was an E7 that um, really helped make that you know happen. Um, I was considering at that time frame early in my career getting out, and he's the one that talked me into it and said, no, stay with it stay the course, these are the reasons why, and gave me kind of that, that picture and hope that, uh, yeah, I end up going 18 more years or so. Wow. So, and, you know, again, it was just one person that made that. You were fortunate to see so many, but you probably also don't realize the impact that you made on others, you know? Yeah, sometimes I don't. Yeah, know. pretty heavy uh, when you think about it. So what happened... So I was still trying to, you know, make Sergeant First Class, and unfortunately, uh, d- due to my incident, I was selected for QMP. So, okay, yeah. So you end up getting out, early. but you didn't let that stop you, though. No, you know, from, from that, I really wanted to find myself a, a, as a person. So uh, I got my CDL and started truck driving. Lived on the road for a bit. I didn't know that part. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you went back to college or something too, right around this time frame? Yeah, or? I had to get off the road. You know, I was just working six days a week, and, and really, it, it wasn't for me. Yeah, that's a that's a tough life, lonely life. It is great money, but money isn't everything. So, no. <laughs> so I was on a lower forty eight account, and, and really wanted more. So. Wow, major major difference in yeah. long haul. Yeah. So I was on a load and a unload account, so I would connect with. Uh, dollar stores and a load the truck and 
hit the next door. <laughs> wow. So when you got off the road, did you go immediately to college? And what, what were you doing while you were going to school? So, so after, uh, after truck driving, I came back to Columbus and, and served as a restaurant manager at Minnie's and Chicken Ladies Coop. Yeah, <laughs> pointing over to somebody over on the side over here that knows. Yep. Yeah, my, my COO, his his family owns the restaurant, and I'm, I'm grateful for grateful for uh, Melinda. You know, she gave me a chance. So. Yeah. So where was it that you ended up going to school then? But so you went after, after that, I made the decision to go to college. Yeah, so. you went to Columbia University, right? Correct, and I still do attend. So I'm a student now. I'm currently on leave. Um, so I was fortunate to be selected. To what was your uh, What was your degree? So. Or what is your degree? So, yeah. yeah, I'm studying financial economics. Yeah. You know, in terms of your past life and the things that you've done, do you find college being easier? I know for myself, I actually, I felt it was. It's <laughs> different? It's definitely a transition. Is yeah. it? Um, yeah. But, you know, school, they provide tools for you to, to help with that. So Yeah. Well, you've been, you know, again, all of the things that you've been able to accomplish, you, you sound like an individual that pretty much sets your goal and you know what you want to achieve and you develop the plan path forward and you go out there and get after it. Well, it's not all me. You know, I have a team and I'm just grateful for having people that can actually mentor and, and really just help guide me. So I, I wouldn't take credit for anything that I've done. Yeah, well, you're, you're very humble because, um, I mean, you've been, you know, again, resiliency, you've, you've dealt with a lot of challenges. Yes, you've had a, a you know, the fortune of having individuals that have been mentors and everything. But, again, you've you've been somebody that bounces back and, and you know, tries to push forward. And I think, uh, was it around this time frame that you really started thinking about, all right, what's my next move? Where What do I do next? Yeah, you know, um I started really just learning up on entrepreneurship. I was fortunate to take uh, Dave Lerner. He he leads our Columbia Organization of Rising Entrepreneurs Club with with those tools and and. and uh, now is this a a, a national uh, program? So it's a program at school, student program that really teaches students how to explore entrepreneurship. Okay, so they. Um, there's another organization, and I should know the name of this, where they do that for veterans, and um, they basically give them all the tools and the training, like you're saying, maybe mentorship and those types of things. This is a similar program okay. uh, that you're talking about. Is Correct. This, yeah. Absolutely. What, what's yeah. the name of it again? So Foundations of Entrepreneurship. It's a course. Okay. You do out the course. It's a 12-week course. You learn how to iterate, test, pivot, you know, all the yeah. tools that's needed to really, um, say, scale a business. I, I uh, attended, we were talking offline before coming on, and I um, was very fortunate here in Atlanta before I retired from Fort McPherson that there was a Chamber of Commerce stuff that I was invited to. And during one of the sessions um, that we were sitting there was about being an entrepreneur and how to uh, pitch for uh, funding. And uh, they talked about how um, you know, usually somewhere within the slide deck about, and they were joking, but they said about a 50 slide deck people bring and somewhere around slide 24 or 25, there's always a slide that shows a pie chart. And it says, if we just take this much percentage of the market, and there's always some percentage there, this is the amount of revenue that we can generate. And the guy that was leading this session that I was at said, I don't want to see this slide. Because if that's your model, if that's your business plan is to steal somebody else's lunch money, then that's not a plan. Agreed. You know, and it was actually it was a really big moment in my life. And I wasn't looking into being an entrepreneur, but I thought it was a really good lesson about business in itself. And you can't make decisions in terms of trying to steal the market and think that you're going to be successful in that way, which People don't realize how frequently new ideas are coming along, and your idea is probably not a new idea. Correct. <laughs> you know, but but that's what everybody thinks. Oh man, I you know I got this great idea. No, you don't. Everybody else has had that idea too. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, when 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 you're ideating and, and coming up with what you're potentially going to explore, it it certainly matters uh, what path you take. There, there's a tool we use called human centered design. Oh, that never helps heard of with that. the ideation process. Okay. So cheers certainly isn't new. You know, you, you have the leaders in the space and uh, 
but it, it's going to come down to execution. Yeah. Now, do they sit down like this group here sat down with a panel, like a peer panel, and there was, I think, a former CFO, a former like CEO, a marketing person. I can't remember all who sat at the table. And you would make your pitch, and they would give you feedback and say, you know, no, you need to go back, sharpen your pencil, you need to do some extra work, or, hey, you don't have enough skin in the game. And it, it was actually around 2001 that this occurred, or 2000. And it was very interesting because uh, it was before the show Shark Tank ever came about. Nice. But when I saw it on TV, I thought, oh, Shark Tank is exactly the same thing that I witnessed. And so is that the same type of thing that you end up going through? or No, it was really just, I guess, an accelerator program. So okay. you're, you're with other students, and you guys just ideate ideas, iterate, and go through the entire process throughout the course. Do you have to, like, sign documentation that says you're not going to steal somebody's great idea? <laughs> I actually didn't, yeah. <laughs> you did? Uh, no, no NDAs are signed, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing process. Yeah. Now, it sounds like it's taught you a lot and specifically about how to be an entrepreneur and how to start up a business. So maybe we can go ahead and that's a great transition opportunity for what it is that we have around the table. So how was it that you end up getting into this? And I believe it started in New York, right? Correct. You know, I'm still going to school there, so I couldn't control where we started. But yeah, um, really just that passion of, of really wanting to create something to prevent others from making the same mistake as I. So in that accelerator program, we actually created something else. It's called Jugar, uh, the first app for amateur tennis players. So you can get on the app and play with other potential tennis players. But really? quickly learned that that isn't a market. <laughs> <laughs> so, But that's a great learning experience. So what was it called again? Jugar. Jugar? Which is Spanish for sport. Oh, see, I, I was going <laughs> to <laughs> We'll get told if it is or not, yeah. most likely. But you got into understanding at least the components of apps, um, the challenges that come along with starting something like that, um, I'm assuming, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, I learned to code and quickly learned my, my coding uh, expertise wasn't up to par. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so really started talking to customers, talking to liquor store owners, talking to restaurant and bar owners and really just not for the sports app but for the other correct for yes. cheers yes for cheers yes i just want to clarify that for those who <laughs> might still be with us on the uh the jugar so what was cheers you said it was something that came about from your experiences so maybe give us the concept of what cheers is before we get into what you had to do to build it yeah so from my mistake in drinking and driving i wanted to create a platform to prevent others from doing the same yeah, so the, uh, doing the same means that you're in a group of individuals. Somebody says, hey, listen, we've ran out of alcohol. You volunteer or whatever and may put yourself in a position where you could get a DUI um, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so um, you decided to, to ensure that that doesn't happen, to create an app in which um, people can go out and request alcohol and it be delivered. Absolutely. And that's why it's called Cheers. Correct. You know, I got lucky with the name. I put a filler out there on, on test names and really wanted something that was, that could be a verb, right? Um, and, and Cheers was the, <clears throat> I was fortunate to be given Cheers. Uh, geez. A, a friend gave me Cheers and we were fortunate to select it. Yeah, I mean, for it to be available is shocking. Absolutely. <laughs> I would have never thought that something like Cheers would be available because you would think those types of names and stuff, oh, it's already taken. And so you started the process of, I guess, first creating the business plan and deciding, you know, the market, what we're talking about in terms of scale and, and those types of things from the training that you'd received? Yeah, I started talking to customers um, way before I had the name. It's been a long journey. I started uh, in, in June 2020, so just talking to store owners, trying to figure out what the problem is. Liquor store owners. Correct. Yeah. Correct. What was the feedback, some of the feedback that you got from them? That, and did it really help you in developing what is now Cheers? It did because we, you know, we really wanted to figure out um, the delivery uh, process. So we was able to shorten our delivery time down to 21 minutes from the feedback received from liquor store and restaurant store owners. 21 minutes to delivery. Correct. Oh, wow. So 
Um, what they started saying is um, what they do get a lot of calls from individuals that are looking for somebody to, you know, could could they deliver or was they were they giving you that kind of feedback at that time frame? Absolutely. And, you know, the alcohol industry is a three tier industry. So it's certainly a unique process with, with chairs. We're able to help them reach their their consumers. I had no idea. Um, you know, most of the time, I you know, you just if you're at a liquor store, people are coming in, they're making purchases. You think it's like any other type of store, but now you start seeing things like Grubhub and and um, other uh, Uber Eats and stuff like that, where it's starting to blossom even from not just restaurants, but now grocery stores are starting to deliver and. You know, and and so again, it's this great idea that you think that you have, but all all types of um, industries out there are starting to recognize that people are wanting to spend their life outside of just driving back and forth to a store to buy something. So if it could be delivered, it's convenient. Right. Yeah, and, and that's the that's what we thought as well. Um, so when we initially launched, we you want a niche to win. So we launched what cocktails to go in the state bandit the day we launched. <laughs> yeah. Why was that? Um, it, it's because of the unique environment with the three-tier system that restaurants and bars have a fuel with the liquor store owners based off the sales. Sounds very familiar with like uh, breweries who have to go through um, distributors on occasion. Like in, in this state, uh, distributors really own the market and, and you can't go and a brewery can't um, well, it was only recently that a brewery could actually sell like six packs and everything. Prior to that, it was just a tasting room, and right. you couldn't even serve anything other than just a certain amount of tasting. Then it got a little bit bigger and a little bit more, but it's still not necessarily at um, the same level as other states where um, I think they just now passed it here in the state of Georgia where you could have um, two um, facilities but you have to manufacture the same amount of product in uh, one facility if you're bringing in liquor. In other words, you have to make that same amount of volume within the building that you're in. And so it's all these little loophole things that normal consumer doesn't even know about. Right. But that's a challenge as a business. Correct. It, it was certainly challenging. But, you know, so, you know, I had a tough decision to make. Do I leave college and, and move the team to a better market? Yeah, where in over there's over 18 states where cocktails and, and craft brews to go are, are legal, but I, I chose to stay really to have the team really de develop a sense of, uh, I would say character. You know, yeah. you, you learn a lot just going through adversity, and it, it certainly taught us a lot. So, but we were back to the drawing board, right? Uh, so we had to redo the app. Um, but in with that process, we learned that cheers could be useful in in other methods. So, like, um, when you, if I were to sign up, how do you validate that the individual, at least when they first sign up, you know, like sometimes if you, you validate the email address to make sure that it is a real-life person and it's not a bot, you know. Um, I know companies do that in a lot of cases, and many of us have probably experienced that. Um, but this, you know, buying liquor, you have to be 21 years of age. Correct. So how do you validate that somebody is of legal age? Yeah, we, and we certainly take that very serious. So we, we, we utilize a four-prong process. So the user has to select if they're 21. Uh, yeah. The user actually inputs their birthday. Okay. And then the carrier slash deliverer actually verifies that ID. And then the fourth method is our payment processor. If none of that matches with, with the ID then it, 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 it doesn't get received. So it's a four-prong process. Our phase two is going to have a five-prong process where the fifth element will be either ID.me verification or KYC verification. Oh, okay. Makes perfect sense because I know that if you order, let's say, wine from a winery or those types of cases, um, you know, it's delivered FedEx or UPS, and they typically... Um, have to have somebody of the age of 21 accepted at the door. So now that's the how you're doing it. First time, boom, Correct. I show you my ID. From that point on, does the carrier still have to verify it each time? Uh, they're not through an ID card, but at least that first time they verify it. Do they scan the ID card into the app, or what do they do in order to... Correct. The carrier has to take a picture. Um, and really, we won't deliver if the user doesn't come to the door. Oh, so, so I mean, so this certainly is certainly wanted to mitigate that risk. Protects you as an organization, as a company, who's actually now being held responsible for handling liquor, just much like a bartender is. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're having to do all those verifications. 
Um, and and so the, can they order any time any type of liquor? You know, wine, full spirits, beer, everything. So yeah, it, it, it goes by the proximity of the of the user. So based off where they are in our partnership, this our partnered establishment, they will the customer will see what's available. What's available? Excuse me. Oh yeah, so that's very cool. And and it's a liquor store. And is it like a Grubhub type of thing where there's our driver that's been identified that gets matched to the liquor store? And, and that's kind of what's taking place? Correct. And it varies by state. You know, some states are controlled states, some states are non-controlled. So in New York, with the law change, it completely changed the app. Users couldn't see our beers or our uh, cocktails anymore. It was simply just wine, oh. alcohol beverages, the actual bottles. So within your app, you have to have it to where you can parse it down depending upon location. And is that specific not just in terms of states but even counties? Do you run into a situation where specific counties within the state will have different requirements? Correct. There's multiple cities based, based <laughs> off your proximity. So uh, Chairs is, is certainly unique, uh, yeah. a unique environment for us. How did you find the liquor stores in terms of being receptive to all this? I would think that this is a great way for them to reach a market that wasn't maybe coming into their store. Yeah, and we think so as well. <laughs> so fortunately, we have over 100 uh, partnerships in New York and really just talking to the store owners, trying to identify their problem. Yeah. Well, it's one thing for you to go through, and I know you went through the training and everything, and it's one thing for you to... Um, you know, have this experience, but putting this together in terms of a business model, right? That's entirely different. Um, and I mean, you've you've now had to learn how to stand up a business, the back end of it, the marketing aspects. You know, how to grow. Um, you know, the the people that are using the app. I mean, there's a lot of nuances here we're talking <laughs> about that people just take advantage of getting an app, downloading it, and pushing a button that they don't see. Yeah. Um, Michael Siebel, the CEO of Y Combinator, he says the best founders, you have to be half an idiot, excuse my language, but yeah. just to think that you can actually iterate and actually scale a business, right? Yeah. So thankfully, um, I would say I'm glad I didn't think about the entire process. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's funny, though, because that's why so many people fail uh, as an entrepreneur is because they don't know everything that you learned in the very beginning of the challenges of it. So but going into it, you were OK with going into it, knowing all those things. I, well, I would say I didn't know. <laughs> I think I'm a strong ranger, you know, really just. Yeah, you've been, you've been you've been blessed to be surrounded by individuals who are willing to take you in. But, you know, I think, too, that it's there are people that are out there and you sound like you're one of them as well, that if there's somebody that um, you could take under your wing and show them the ropes and teach them how to do it, and then they're a willing listener and participant. That goes a long way. You know, it certainly does. Um, mentorship works both ways. Yeah. Well, there's their mentee and the mentor, and you're absolutely right. And a lot of people confuse coaching and mentoring. This is truly people who have sat down and tried to give you guidance, but they're not trying to coach you. They're just trying to to make sure you know you you know what you're doing and and uh, how do you how is this now reacting or how are you reacting to that situation and and those types of things that's really helped you grow. Um, so you is it outside of liquor stores or is it like in other words? Now the brewery, since I talked about that, I'm kind of curious, to, are breweries starting to see this as an opportunity as well or not yet? Absolutely. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Um, it, and again, it varies based off our location, but what's important for us is, is in my job really to find a scalable model. You know, So we're in the phase of product market fit. We have a few ideas that we feel could be profitable, but uh, as a founder, it's your job to keep the team motivated right so mm -hmm. really my job has to shift to being a coach yeah absolutely and and sometimes you gotta um the biggest challenge that entrepreneurs have is um the idea is there they may not know how to execute and so like you're saying you build a strong team that can do the tactical uh aspects of it and stuff so that you can continue focusing on the strategy and making the prioritization of the work that's going on yeah, it certainly takes a team. It starts with me. I really have to just shift from execution to, to being, a, being a coach. Yeah. Because everyone work, everyone's working for free in a startup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Most definitely. And that's another thing that most people don't know about. They think all the ca uh, cash is rolling in, but you're putting all that back into the business. You have to in order to get it to grow. Absolutely. And that's the challenge that, again, another people and the reason why entre uh, entrepreneurial companies don't last that long is because you got to put a lot of skin in the game, your own money, take the money that you're getting and reinvest it. And you may not be, you know, having this glamorous job. And instead, you're taking out the trash. You're you're doing everything that needs to be done in order to make that company successful. Yeah, the best founders are, are you know, tech founders where they actually develop the code. And unfortunately, being a non-tech founder, I had to outsource it, which... Yeah, it was money, right? So that that's difficult. Well, and you're right. They may be able to take it so far in terms of technology, but they don't probably have the business acumen that you've now acquired and are acquiring through your education and stuff. So I think there's wins and losses on both sides of it. Yeah. Uh, I think you probably got the good partnership in what you uh, now develop. But you've got some exciting news as well, though, because. People uh, obviously have heard of what you're doing and has said, uh, taken notice of it and um, are now reaching out and, and figuring out ways to help you grow this business segment. And you've just made a partnership of which you can see here on the hat um, with someone. So tell us a little bit about that and how that came about. Yeah. So again, we finally launched in December and due to licensing, uh, license expired and really uh, just finally made the decision to leave New York. I'm on leave. Let me see if Cheers could be more advantageous somewhere else. And with our app, it's basically MVP, a minimum viable product. So we certainly have upgrades. But when you have an inferior product in, in a more dominating market, you're going to fail. Right? Yeah. So um, coming to Georgia here, we, we feel it's, per, it's a perfectly competitive market. Um, New challenges because of coming to Georgia versus New York and new laws? Yes, certainly new new laws, but with Georgia, we, we feel with we feel with the learn lessons from New York, we'll be able to explore, uh, we'll be able to execute in, in, in a better fashion. Yeah, I'm sure that there are probably some very different nuances uh, within that state, but going broader or the potential to go bigger and go broader with other or uh, other um, states, other liquor stores, and stuff like that creates new challenges for you guys um, as you begin to explore those opportunities because like you said if new york and now georgia that you're dealing with have um, challenges with laws between county city state now you start going into other states and how their their state local laws are correct you have to i mean and this is where i would think your paralegal part comes into play really heavily yeah um i, I really section off each state based off their control or non-control status and, and based off the law but fortunately we, we just partnered to take out seven and, and, and doordash which mitigates that risk so now they're uh taking care of our driver solutions so, so in that sense, a person that goes, if I were to go on the app, I go in, I set up an account, um, I purchase whatever's within the area, sort of like, you know, DoorDash and everything, whatever restaurants have been registered and more coming online each day type of thing. Same with you. So all that's all the same. But are, is it that instead of having... Um, find a, a driver or a partner up there in New York. Now you're permanent with, say, DoorDash to where that contract and that connection makes it to where you have less concern over finding a driver to make sure is, because they're a nationally recognized organization. Exactly. You know, when, when we launched in December, I, I didn't take account of managing the drivers as well. So we have a team of over 150 drivers. But based off your volume, the drivers may come and go because they're gig slash contracted workers. Yes. And we explored the salary concept, but as a startup, you know, spending uh, over $2,000 a week isn't, isn't the answer. No. And, and I'm sure, like you said, the turnover is high because many of these drivers are people who are converting probably from being either regular Joes that went into Uber or something of that nature that then want to take a side job hustle with, you know, Grubhub or DoorDash or whatever the case may be. And, and so you have that flux where, you know, it's, it's pretty high and to not have to worry about that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's a saving grace, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's huge. And, and I think that's an important factor that you probably recognized, I'm assuming, very early on in the training that you went through, that you've got to make sure that you 
realize what your core competencies are. You know, what capabilities um, that you want to have within your organization and what is it that you just realize this is not a capability or a competency we have that or that we want to bring and build in house. So you partner or you buy it as opposed to building it. Yeah. Initially, you know, really cheers. We have four apps that integrate into one. So a driver app, we explored the salary concept, but you don't get a. Our drivers are less, most drivers are most are less inclined to deliver in a timely manner if they're under salary. Yeah. And then the gig slash contracted route, they can come and go. So there's no commitment there for the user. Yeah, just to fulfill our customer need, we have to ensure we have multiple partnerships. I, and I don't know, um, for those of you that were thinking about starting a business, how difficult that is to find the right partners, to vet them appropriately, and to make sure that they're aligned with your mission so that you can deliver what you hope to be, you know, the promise that you made in right. terms of building the company. It's it, challenging. It is, especially in the alcohol industry. No one does contracts. <laughs> oh, that's it's a, a very I, handshake business. I never thought about that. I would have thought with all the laws and everything, you know, that now it's even more stringent. So yeah, it's very, still kind of uh, attaboy stuff then. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very big on contracts. Yeah, so. oh, oh, paralegal. Of course you are. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, and so it's still kind of a gentleman's agreement type of things in a lot of ways. Sometimes, yeah, it, it's it's a very unique environment. Yeah, I can only imagine. And um, so with DoorDash and now being in the state of Georgia, is now the goal to, by getting with a nationally recognized organization at some point, to expand this to other states? Or are you already in more than just Georgia right now? So we're in New York currently, and we're revamping, we're revamping our MVP, making a better app. Um, and and the, the goal really is for me to, our team, excuse me, to, to find product market fit. We want to explore whether cocktails to go is more profitable than, than the bottle yeah. concept. Oh, absolutely. So are you in, I, I'm, maybe I misunderstood, you're not in Georgia fully yet, you're still just in New York? Correct. Still you're just in you're New York. physically in Georgia. Still just in New York, but we're relaunching in Georgia. Okay. So any can you give us any insight as to maybe what might be coming next in terms of a state, or is it too early to be able to say that? No, it's certainly happening. Um, again, it fits our mission in preventing DUIs. Georgia is number 11 on the list. I didn't realize that. So for us, it, it matters being in a market where we can actually show impact. Um, so we hope to relaunch here in, in the mid of June. Okay. This is kind of dear to your heart place, too, because you mentioned early on about, you know, Columbus and stuff. And so um, having, you know, a third bat and, you know, we got basic training or uh, our OSIT training, one station unit training that occurs here at Fort Benning for um, cavalry, for armor, for infantry. It's a pretty big installation. Um, not a whole lot of um, units that are here that are standing units other than, say, the regiment and a few others. But it's still one of these things I'm assuming with it here, with uh, another battalion within the state. You know, there's a lot of military, a lot of Air Force and everything uh, that's here. I'm, I'm just making this assumption. You're also focusing on how can you can make a difference uh, within that community as well. Absolutely. With the drawdown in the war, um, misconduct-wise, 88% of misconduct is alcohol-related. Yeah. So I, I hope to be able to show commanders, hey, look at my mistake. Now I have a tool that can prevent uh, operators or any soldier from making the same mistake as myself. Yeah. Insurers allows that. Yeah, and, and that's important. I, 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 did, I wanted to make sure that we highlight that because there is a real purpose to what you know, you're trying to accomplish here, I think, within the state and, and, and give back in somewhat of a different way. And um, what would you say to those individuals, though, that are listening to this that, um, you know, there, and there are quite a few within the military who think about starting a job while they're in and creating, whether it's a t-shirt business, whether it's a, you know, coffee and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Is there any advice that you would give to those guys who are starting a, or to think about a business? Yeah, I would say really it's okay to take that risk. It's okay to fail. When we launched, we failed. They, they changed the law and, and that failure helped us create cheers in, in, in a better fashion as we were able to identify that it was useful in other ways. So yeah. it's okay to fail. It's okay to learn from that failure and, and keep trying. 
bail forward is usually what I say, you Absolutely. know, and, and that's what you guys have done. You've said, all right, um, if this is what they're going to do and we have no control over it, you got to think about um, in, in business, we talk about SWOT, you know, SWOT analysis. What are our strengths and weaknesses? But what are the opportunities and threats out there? In terms of opportunities, it's what's the market? Where could we go? And all that you were describing as part of your mission. The threats are those things that you may or may not have any control over. Mother nature, you know, laws and um, governmental changes, you know, in office and stuff that could uh, impact that. Or um, other businesses coming on and uh, seeing your idea and going, oh, I can do that and I can do it better. Um, so you have to constantly be thinking about those things. Yeah, absolutely. All those, all those things matter. And fortunately, um, our experiences have helped us really shape cheers in a way that could actually uh, fell forward, as you mentioned previously. Yeah. <laughs> was funding one of those things that you found the most challenging, or what was it that you found the most challenging? Absolutely funding. I mean, you're always raising as an entrepreneur. Um, it's self-funded. So... Uh, that makes it challenging. Absolutely. But they also want to see the skin in the game. Skin in the game matters. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to start or you're not going to continue. People don't want to just all of a sudden come up and go, hey, here's a million dollars. Um, I like your idea. Why don't you go run with my million dollars? They want to make sure that you've got some skin, that you've actually really gone out there like you were doing. Go to door to uh, door to door. Make sure that you have demonstrated to me that I'm willing to invest in in you because really at this point i'm investing in you as a person not just your business and your idea i gotta make sure i can trust you with my money agreed you know and we're at that pre-seed stage where any funds go towards the app development yes and, and towards expansion so we're fortunate with our partnerships it, it mitigates a lot of risks and concerns for for uh investors in so many different ways, people don't see the back end of this as well. Like um, when you're talking about investing back in the business and into your app and, and the coding and those types of things, there are nuances that you begin to learn as you're standing up a business that, you know, domino effect, downstream things that you've got to add in there and how that code is manipulating and being used so that you don't put your company into trouble. Correct. For an example, when I learned to code, I started coding, but then I wasn't on the ground making the partnerships. Yes. So outsourcing became the, the, the solution. But with that comes a, a penny uh, cost. So Yes. Well, and, and I think those different things, though, have set you up kind of well in that, all right, now you've kind of learned some of the pains. You're, you know, a couple years into this and understanding all the nuances that take place. You're becoming wiser, but at the same time frame, these other organizations are starting to catch up and realize that there are broader opportunities than just the grocery store and just delivering. I mean, I'm seeing it now for all sorts of different types of business. So at the same token, you've got to worry about somebody coming in and taking your lunch money while you're trying to build an entity. Right. So, I mean, that last mile delivery, you know, you, we, I tell the team all the time, we're certainly in a, in a foot race with the big names, whether we know it or not. Yes. So... A partnership certainly matter. It mitigates risk, but also costs. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a ways in which you can start leveraging that. As they see you growing and uh, more opportunity, then, of course, it's not just that brand partnership. They're seeing now the value of what you guys are delivering to the table and how that expands their role and their capabilities because those relationships that you're making within the liquor stores, you never know what come come out of that. I mean, Liquor may be your primary thing, but then there may be complementary things that you end up partnering with because people buy, you know, um, food with liquor or, you know what I mean? It's usually, there's usually a combination. There's a reason why you find the peanuts normally with, uh, you know, in the chips or whatever with the beer on the same aisle or, you know, or the peanut butter and the jelly with the bread because they know that those things end up going together. So there are bigger branch opportunities. So, at some point, people, um, organizations are going to start looking at you guys. What is your market? Where are you at? We want to partner with yours. Uh, the same way you may be looking at other organizations of how you can grow your market. Absolutely. We hope with brand recognition and being in a better market that supports our mission, we could be the sole and, and lead, sole provider of alcohol. Yeah. Some of the uh, resiliency and challenges that you had when uh, when you were back in the military 
um, these were some of the things like, you know, you had to overcome that I think it sounds like makes it, I don't want to say easier, but maybe you're a little bit more comfortable with facing some of these challenges out here. Do you ever run into occasions where you're having to tell your team, it's all right, we're going to make it through this. It's just, it's just a, you know, a bump in the road or a pothole. It's not necessarily a brick wall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I keep using the example of the day we launched, but that day it really was adversity for us um, because now we essentially didn't have an app again based yeah. off that law. And with that, we were able to identify if we were to go to a party, um, yet we're not losing one. And if we were, to, excuse me, if we were to go to an establishment or a busy dive bar, we're not losing one someone in our party to actually go and order a drink. They can just get on from the app. And, and store owners love that because now they're um, minimizing their costs. Yeah. And, and controlling the flow of uh, uh, within their respective establishment. How do you, how, I'm just very so, curious. So that was just a pivot the day we launched that we identified. I, 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 you made me think of something that, do you find resistance, say, from bars or, you know, establishments that serve liquor that you may be your your business model in some ways is keeping them home and not driving them to an establishment right and and, and that's why you know georgia is a, a better market for us you know people really don't drive in new york yeah so preventing duis just fell on deaf ears yeah <laughs> Well, I can certainly see that because we don't have um, that type of transportation system here, and especially within the South, uh, pretty much all together. It's the reason why we have terrible traffic in Atlanta as well, because we have an HOV lane or a single lane where multiple people can get into it, but nobody wants to drive with another person. We all want to drive our individual car. So it just makes the traffic that much worse. But you bring up very valid points is that's exactly where you want to be because you know that there are going to be establishments that um, people are going to be at and they're going to get themselves in the trouble. So have you, I don't want to put something in your ear, but have you thought about like trying to partner with these types of Uber organizations and everything else that, Hey, there's another thing that if you find yourself in that type of situation, you can also, you know, yeah. find a way to make a connection here. Yeah. We're certainly exploring other methods. Uh, it won't be Uber. They acquired the leader in the space, Drizzly uh, yeah. in March, but, um, no, there's other ride-sharing platforms that we're exploring connectivity with. Yeah, and that's very cool that you're starting to think of, again, those types of partnerships. How does it line up, and how can we you know, all benefit here in this space that we're kind of focused on, which is a consumer who doesn't want to leave their home uh, or wherever they're at for whatever reason, and if that's the case, how can we deliver product to them and um, this is very unique, I think, because I had never heard of this, by the way. Um, I, I, again, I had heard of uh, trying to buy alcohol or wine or something of that nature from uh, establishments that were sending it and, you know, containers or anything, but not like a door-to-door, -door, you know, business-to-consumer type of model like you're describing. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not a new concept. You know, the leader that was acquired, they started in 2014. So for it to be uh, outside the norm now, I can only imagine the challenges they, they, they experience. But I'm grateful for them in, in, in starting it because now, although relate to the space, there's still other areas where we could explore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great set of advice is that when you see somebody out there that may be doing it, instead of just trying to steal their lunch money, how do you make yourself a differentiator in the market? Correct you were talking about the reason why you got into this is not so you can sell liquor it's to basically take care of the consumer out there the individual in a way in which they don't find themselves into trouble absolutely but also investors care about which one is more profitable yeah well, sure sure <laughs> so you know between all our different uh, methods it, it's really my job to figure out which one's more profitable and scalable for for the investor yeah, you know, everything, obviously, that you've learned to this point uh, has gotten you here, but I, I think you've said it very well that it's not been an easy road. It's by far, the journey is not over. It's not a sprint, you know. It's a marathon. You're really going at a slow pace to make sure you understand your market, all those types of things. And in, in I, it sounds, too, like if somebody gets into a business model, they need to understand that, that it's not a quick win. It's not. It, it's a journey. You know, it's, it's been two years just talking to customers and finally launched in December. 
Yeah. And, and really, I'm congratulations, by the way. That already is an achievement, you know, when you're able to launch and, and get out there. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a long journey. Um, I certainly didn't make it better breaking my femur here. Yeah. But uh, I'm grateful that that happened. I'm, now I'm able to slow down and just take it day by day. I, I was sprinting, running, yeah. you know, just executing with, without uh, – I was in a I was in a rat race with myself. I would say. Yeah. Chairs is very personal to me, and and with this recent injury, I'm able to just slow down and take our take take my time. And that's what you should do. It sounds like at least it got through. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I'm in therapy now, and I, I need. It's sad. I needed an injury to just slow down and you know come back to life. I would say. Yeah. Well, it's it's great that it was a. I wouldn't say it's great. It's. <laughs> It, it's unfortunate that it had to happen, but the fact that something happened and it, it made you realize um, is great. You know, on our computers, we sit there on occasion and hit Control-Alt-Delete, you know, when the computer is not working properly in the way we want it to and it's jammed up or locked up or something like that. And we don't realize at times we need to do a reset ourselves. Absolutely. We need to take those moments. And it uh, sounds like it, that's what caused you to self-reflect. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for that time to self-reflect. It really just told me to slow down Yeah, and, and really just value what's important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, you've had that opportunity and that uh, it's going to probably even make you more successful, I feel, because, again, all of those adversities, and yet this is another one, has led you to where you are today, the type of person you are, how you're trying to give back, Um you know, the way in which you've mentored others, you've taken the advice that people have given you and you've applied it not, not only to your daily life, but uh, in how you share it with others has been tremendous. And I can't thank you, um, tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this journey, because to me, this is, you know, like we were talking about a long journey that it's, it's not over. And I, I, I really hope that at some point you're able to come back on and talk about cheers in it going all 50 states and, you know, across the globe or whatever the case may be. I can really see this as a launching pad and a great opportunity for, um, you know, individuals out there and for your company. Absolutely. And I hope to be here as well. What I will say is we won't quit and it's going to be a long journey in, in the product market fit phase, but I hope to be back as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so one of the things that I understand that um, through some of your adversity that's really helped you is, and, and through the self-reflection like we were talking about, is a book or something that you've read. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, it's called Meditations of an Army Ranger uh, by J.C. Glick, retired uh, lieutenant general. He's been on here. I know. <laughs> great, great guy. He um, is. I got the book from Major Tony Main, the former regiment PAO. And yeah. I really just realized I didn't have a personal philosophy. So okay. I was just all deep in chairs and, and, and really with the book, I was able to really come up with a clear, concise direction and guidance for who I want to be as a man and how I want to project myself. Yeah. So I was grateful to read that book. And um, a long read, a short read, tell our listeners. Cause they, I'm assuming they can find it. You found it like on Amazon or something? Yeah, it's, it's a short read. It's certainly useful for, for veterans that are getting out and, and looking, for, <clears throat> looking for a purpose. Yeah, not just Rangers either, just to be clear. It was just Correct. written by an Army Ranger, Correct. but it doesn't, yeah. So I, I think that's a great book, and thanks for sharing that. JC's an awesome guy. Um, he's done amazing things even within the service and then outside of it, the way he's established different programs out there. I'm glad that, you know, to hear that he's made such a great impact on someone like you. And I'm sure he'll listen to this and be happy to hear that as well. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, before we go, though, I do want to um, also – point out um, how they can go about getting into Cheers and looking for that and the, and the app available at the app store and stuff on their phone and they can go ahead and download it and wait for... Absolutely. Are yeah. there alerts that could be sent to them as to alerts them when their state's there or is they just frequently check just to see sort of like uh, all these other um, things that have come online in the local space where they could find you? So, so yeah, we're available in New York. We'll be available in Georgia here in June and we're Available on the App Store, all app stores, so the Google Store, the Google Play Store, and, yeah. and, and the Apple Cheers. Store. And That's just, 
That's all they got to put in on the search and just search Cheers. And and the logo looks like two martini glasses. And so I'm I'm assuming that the photo, at least for the app, is the same. Absolutely. That way they'll know that for sure that they're getting your product and downloading your app as opposed to somebody out there that may go by the same name. Uh, hopefully there's not one. Like you said, it was pretty unique at that time frame. But um, yeah, I encourage everybody to go out there, download the app. Um, you know, make sure that you're paying attention to um, when it might be coming to your local community and uh, the, the near future. Hopefully it ends up growing across the globe here and we get a lot of people really engaged in, in utilizing your app to, uh, to use your product, your, uh, your services. Absolutely. And with our recent partnership with, with DoorDash, whether you're not in New York or Georgia, we hope to come to your state soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, appreciate so much for you coming all this way and, and being on the show and sharing not only your journey and the, the challenges of being an entrepreneur and starting up a company, but you know, I, I always enjoy talking to individuals who are, are trying to give back. And you're certainly trying to do that through this application. Sure, it means that you, it, you're also going to, to build a company and it has to make money and all of that. But your mission is important, what you're trying to do. And the reason why you're look, looking at coming to the state of Georgia to help reduce the DUIs and specifically within the veteran community is uh, very commendable. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And, you know, 1% of our funds go to the Ranger for Life program stood up by Tony Main. So we're certainly committed to giving back to former Rangers and, and veterans overall. Outstanding. So again, everybody go out, download the app, uh, do that today and find that on the app store. Appreciate you coming on, Cardi. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. <laughs>